Thank you guys. Y'all can have a seat. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 together in a few minutes. If you want to turn there, uh, that would be where where we'll eventually land. Last week, uh, we started a, a new sermon series that we're calling Everyday Saints. And uh, we talked last week about the fact that in the Bible, uh, the word that is used more than any other word to describe Christians is saint. You are a saint. The word that is used to describe Christians more than any other word in the New Testament is saint, which is a little shocking we, we discovered last week. After church, some of y'all were having fun with this last Sunday, and we were like, referring to each other as saint so-and-so, saint, you know, and, uh, but I think it's true, right? I think that we, we use the word Christian to describe who we are. That word is actually used the, the least amount of times to describe the people of God, though, in the New Testament, and we find that, that the Bible uses this word saint, that, and, and that that means that you're a saint, and that that word saint, again, we often associate with someone who's kind of on a special category of spirits they're super spiritual up here you know and the rest of us are kind of down here but what we discovered last week as we kicked this series off was that the bible disagrees with that idea every time that the word saint is used it's referring to everyday ordinary people it's always used to describe people that are that are like us and last week as a way to help us embrace this because it's honestly a little bit hard for us to, to embrace this identity, that this is who we are in Christ, that you're a person that's been set apart, you're a person that's holy. That word set apart and holy saint gets translated in English in all of those ways, but it's all the same word. And so as a way to kind of embrace this identity of who we are, I asked you today to bring pictures that we were going to hang around our walls on the sides of, of this room to, during this series to help us remember and embrace this identity that this is who we are. And so some of you did that. I really appreciate that. I was a little bit nervous this morning that I was going to have the only two pictures up here. Uh, but some of you, you, you responded to the challenge. If you did not do that, there's going to be other weeks. Please do that next week. I'll have opportunities that I'll try to remind you to do that as well. And I want those to be a reminder for us as we engage in this topic of thinking about holiness, thinking about what it means to live into this life that God has called us to. Uh, that there are people that have gone on to be with the Lord, and we probably in our minds think of those people kind of in another category. We maybe looked up to them, admired them, respected them. But God says the same thing about you that he said about those people that you look up to and admire, that if you're in Christ, you're a holy person. God has made you holy, and we're going to talk some more about that this morning. It's part of your, your identity. And so even with all your brokenness, even with all your sh- the mess and the struggle and the chaos and the imperfection in your life, as Axel reminded us as we gathered for communion a few minutes ago, even with all of that, Scripture says that you're a saint. And you're in good company because I don't know how many of you remember the church in Corinth. Uh, But just really quickly, I want to walk through really, really quickly a quick overview of uh, what is going on in the church in Corinth. In case you're not certain yet and you're not ready to embrace this identity that you are who God says that you are, 
Just quickly listen to this. In chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, the church is divided. And they're fighting over who the best leader was. Chapter 5 in their church, they're allowing all sorts of immorality. Chapter 6, they have brothers and sisters in the church that are taking each other to court. Chapter 7, they have people that are having affairs, getting divorced, living, in a, li- living a life that is not God's desire and plan for them. Chapter 11, their, their worship, Paul says as he writes this letter to them, their worship, he says, is doing more harm than it is good. Imagine that. Imagine for you to gather here on a Sunday morning and for, you know, to, to leave and feel like, man, you know, that didn't do, that actually did more harm to me than it, than it did good for my life. That's, that's what's going on at this church because they're discriminating. The reason that it, it's doing more harm than good is because as they gathered around the table to share the Lord's Supper, they're discriminating against the poor. Certain people are getting to eat before others. They're not considering the body as they gather. 12, chapter 12 through 14, there is disorder of all kinds in the, ga- the worship gatherings in their assembly. Chapter 15, This is a huge one. Their understanding of the resurrection is wrong. And so Paul corrects that. And even with all of that going on, this is mind-blowing to me, really, to think about it. Even with all of that going on, Paul starts both of his letters, 1 and 2 Corinthians, to the saints in Corinth. To the saints in Corinth. And so that's the company that we share as we think about this idea of being God's person, being holy and set apart, being a saint. And this morning I want to talk about kind of another angle of this, right? That, there, that you are a saint, but you, there is also a high calling that is attached to sainthood. There are expectations that go along with being a person of God with being in Christ. And we get a glimpse of this very early in Jesus' ministry when he's preaching to a very ordinary group of people, beginning to build this, this community of followers that he's going to create and surround himself with. And he's teaching in this very familiar and well-known Sermon on the Mount. And I could have picked a lot of places in Scripture, but I'm going to look this morning uh, at Ephesians, I mean, excuse me, at Matt, we're going to look at Ephesians 2, but in Matthew chapter 5. And so I want to ask if you would to, to look with me in Matthew 5. We're going to begin in verse 43. And as we read this, I want you to think about just this glimpse that we're getting it, that, of the high calling that has been associated with being a saint, being a holy person. Jesus says, in Matthew 5:43 You have heard that it was said love your neighbor and hate your enemy but I tell you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your father in heaven God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous if you love those who love you what reward will you get are not even the tax collectors doing that and if you greet only Your own people. You know who your own people are, right? If you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, 
in the very beginning of verse 43, God only said part of this. God only said the love your neighbor part. But what happened in, in this culture as the Jewish people were taking this teaching that they knew from the Old Testament that God had given to love their neighbor, they were adding to it. And the rabbis were allowing this to take place, probably even encouraging it at some points. If God said that we are to love our neighbor and God didn't say anything after that, then it must mean, they assumed, that we can hate our enemy. This is where Jesus gets this, this idea. He says, you heard that it was said, love your neighbor. That's the only part God said. And hate your enemy is the part that Jesus is adding. So he know, they know that he knows that they're hearing this kind of message circulating, right? And so Jesus says, no, not so fast. There's a higher calling that's actually associated with people that follow me. We don't get to hate people, Jesus said. We don't get to hate anybody, any people. We'll be known by our love, Jesus says, of neighbor and of enemy. And we will do this so that we can be children of our Father in heaven. Our family, Jesus says, right? In our family, this is how we behave. You may have heard that there's behavior that's acceptable that's going on outside in the world. But in God's family, this is the way we behave. This is the family rules. And why do we do it this way in our family? You can hear someone asking. And so Jesus goes ahead and answers that question in this teaching. He says, we do this because of the kind of father that we have. Our father is the kind of father that sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous the neighbor, and the enemy. Our God, our Father, is the kind of Father who, who, who causes the sun to rise on both people who know Him and acknowledge Him and care about Him and worship Him and people who have no interest in Him. God is the kind of God, God is the kind of Father that causes the rain to fall and the sun to rise on the righteous and the unrighteous, the saints and the sinners equally, and it isn't just the holy people, right? That's, that's what he's saying, that get taken care of, that receive blessing, that receive provision from the Lord. No, our Father is a Father that honestly makes some choices sometimes that might even appear strange to people. And your Father, Jesus says, wants you to make some choices. Namely, in this passage, loving your enemies that might appear strange to people at times. Loving people is at the top of the list because anyone can love people that love them. But the way that the world will know that we really follow Jesus is when we start loving people that do not love us or are not like us, are not our own people. Don't look like us, act like us, think like us, believe like us, practice their lives and live out their lives like us. The way that the world will know that we really follow Jesus is when we start loving people like this. People that we might, we might default to distancing ourselves from, even. And in this same sermon, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus says that the standard has also been raised. We're not going to look at all of the other passages. Like I said, I could have picked a lot of them this morning. But Jesus also talks about and says the standard has been raised for you. 
as God's people in your relationships with your spouse and your relationships with people that are not your spouse and how you think about sex and sexuality and lust. The standard is high for keeping your word. He talks about being a person of honesty and keeping your oath, being a person of integrity, functioning in your workplace. Who are you when no one is looking? Your character, right? It's supposed to be set apart and different because of whose child you are. Doing what you say that you'll do and working hard. There's an expectation Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount about how we think about money, about how we think about our possessions. The standard of expectation has been raised. There is a higher calling for those in Christ. It's undeniable as we read through the New Testament and hear this this Messiah that came that keeps calling people back, calling people back, reminding them of who they are and reminding them that they're set apart, they're different. They're supposed to live differently as a result of that identity. And often when we think about our lives, we compare our lives as we think about, like we compare someone else's worst moment to our best moment, right? We may not always, as we're thinking about our relationships, we may not always say these things out loud, but it, but it can happen in our heads. Well, at least I don't. And then you give an example. I may not be perfect, but I knew someone who... Well, look at them. I can't believe that they... Honey, you don't know how good you have it. Do you know what other people's spouses do? Mom, everybody is doing this. And Jesus, the reason I use those examples is that what we do is we compare to each other. And Jesus calls us up out of that pattern of behavior and says, Other people are not your standard. I am your standard, Jesus says. Come to me. Be like your father. And this is what your father is like. He does things that at first glance seem to be a little off whack because he's loving people who are both following him and aren't following him, who acknowledge him and who don't acknowledge him. Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapters 4 and 5. In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, this this one verse we're going to look at, he says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Live a life that's worthy of this calling that you received. And just a few verses later, I'm going to pick up in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. He really gets in deep to it about what he means by living this life that's worthy of the calling that he's received, that's, that's called these people in Ephesus out from the life that they did live and into this new life. Ephesians 4, verse 25. I encourage you to turn there and read along with me. Paul says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands for that they may, be, may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those 
who listen. And do not grieve the Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. All bitterness, rage, and anger. All brawling and slander. Along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Paul lays out this really heavy, long, incredible list of expectations of, about what it means, right? For Jesus to be the Lord of your life, to be a holy person that is set apart, that is a saint. Be honest. Speak truthfully to people. Don't let the sun go down while you're angry. Don't steal. Make sure you talk, that when you talk, the, the words coming out of your mouth is building people up and not tearing them down. Be kind and compassionate. Get rid of bitterness. Are you bitter about something that happened 10 years ago or two years ago? He says, take the necessary steps to get rid of that because it is not becoming of a person that has been set apart to live a different life. Talk to that person. Make the phone call. Yes, it's going to be hard, but spirit-filled people do hard things is what Paul is saying. And sometimes that, that is in regard to how we speak, and sometimes that's in regard to how we live, and sometimes that's how we relate to other people, and sometimes that's how we care and acknowledge and you know, what we do with the possessions that we have. It plays itself out in a lot of ways. Forgive, he goes on, in the way that God forgave you. And why? Why does he say that? Why does, why does all this matter? Why does it matter that we live a certain Can I just do some of the things that I really want to do? Paul says it matters because you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And Spirit-filled people, saints, live in a particular way. None of which feel easy, if we're honest, right? They don't feel like a light you know, bag that just got dropped at our feet that we're just supposed to pick up and carry. Like this, feel like, this feels like pretty high expectations. But he keeps going. In Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 3, he says... Among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these things are improper for, wait for it, saints. God's holy people, it might be translated in your version. These things are improper for God's holy saints. All that stuff that, that I read in verses 25 through 32, and then he drops this on us in verse one, verses 1 through 3. I mean, we think, my goodness, man, in a world consumed with sex and pornography and greed and coveting people's stuff and impurity, like, welcome to America. This is what we do. These are our vices. Sexual immorality, impurity of all kinds, greed, coveting, wanting more. You know, we, 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 we put the first two, sexual immorality and impurity, up here, and greed we kind of live with. I live with, right? Coveting other people's stuff, consuming constantly. If last week's sermon, and the kickoff to this series, was the sermon to make us all feel good about ourselves as saints, and rightfully so, this week's sermon is the other side of the same coin. It's a sermon I rarely preach because it's not my favorite kind of sermon to preach, if I'm honest. It's harder to preach. But we need to know that there is a high standard. 
a high calling that's been placed on our lives. And we need, we need not to feel guilt. I think in the past, when a sermon like this was preached, guilt and shame were often associated with the words that the preacher was saying. And I want you to hear me say this morning, if, if you hear guilt and shame, that is not from God. Conviction might be from the Holy Spirit. That's different than guilt and shame. Guilt and shame is from the enemy, from the liar, from the deceiver. God is a God of love that is interested in calling us back, reminding us of who we are, inviting us into the life that he has imagined for us that is better than the life that we can imagine for ourselves, church. When we, we need to remember, just simply need to remember that when, that when you were baptized into Christ, we were made a new creation. We were baptized into Christ, yes, our sins were washed away. But we must understand that it is more than that. It is not just that. It is that. But there is also, what happens in baptism is that you are marrying your life to Jesus Christ and saying, He is the Lord of my life. And when you're baptized, it means your life gets baptized. It means your decisions get baptized. It means your wallet gets baptized. It means your thoughts get baptized. Everything goes under that water and a new creation comes out, Paul says. Jesus was made the Lord of your life, which would feel impossible, wouldn't it? The weight that, that I'm sort of laying out feels kind of heavy and it would be impossible to bear if it wasn't for Jesus Christ, which is what makes this story so beautiful. If you're in Christ, your ability to live into your true identity as a saint is possible because of Christ. It's a, it's a cyclical thing. It, it, it's, you, you are a saint because of Jesus. You have received a high calling as a result of that choice to follow Jesus, to live up to a higher standard. And while it may feel hard at times, almost burdensome, impossible at times, it is possible because you are in Christ. You have been made righteous because you're in Christ. You have been made a saint because you're in Christ. You have been made holy because you're in Christ. And God wants you to live up to and live into that identity. And it's possible because of who your Father is. What was once impossible is now possible through Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10, verse 10 says it this way. By that will, we have been made holy, same word, through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Which means on the days you feel like it, that sacrifice was made and it made you holy. And on the days you don't feel like it, that sacrifice was made and it makes you holy. We are the temple of the living God and can be the temple of the living God where the Spirit of God dwells because of Christ's work on the cross, not anything that we've done for ourselves. Yes, we are holy in Christ. Yes, we are saints. Yes, there is expectation that comes with that. And yes, it is possible to live up to that high calling because of the work of Jesus Christ. And that's what it is, this is designed to do. This process that plays out, I, I, I really believe that, that as we think about what happened, right? Christ died for us. We, we receive this relationship. We embrace this relationship. We surrender our lives 
to Christ, we realize, man, we can't make this journey without God. And so we, we, we journey with God through life and realizing our inability and our imperfection that God is making it possible to journey on this path, on this narrow path because of Jesus Christ. And there's not guilt in that. There's not shame in that. There's joy in that because you're in Christ. It's going ma- to happen, right? It's going to happen. You're going to make it because you're in Christ. You don't need to be concerned about your salvation. Once and for all, Jesus made the sacrifice. I've met too many older people who live their whole life, and at the end of their life, they're still concerned about whether they're actually saved. You are saved if you're in Christ. Once and for all, Hebrews 10 says, right? We have to receive and embrace that identity and then live into it and live up to it, knowing that God is going to make it possible for us. We're temples of the living God because of Jesus. We are holy and saints because of Jesus. And we are capable of living into this identity because of Jesus. Sainthood is possible because of Jesus. And what this should should do is drive us to the feet of Jesus, church. It should drive us to worship, honestly, to celebrate that we are who we are because of Him. And this morning, if you're in Christ, my hope is that you, you're reminded, right, that, the, that you've been called out, you've been separated, you've been, you, you're being sanctified, you're being made into a new creation. And it's possible for you to achieve that because of the work of Christ in your life, the Spirit of God that is dwelling in you. And if you've not accepted Christ, man, today would be a great day to do that because you've heard everything that's involved. Your life is going to, your journey is going to be hand-in-hand hand walked with Jesus Christ. What a gift. And I hope that today you don't feel discouragement because the bar feels too high. If it does, then I would encourage you to come back and hang with me and hear more next week as we continue to unpack this idea of what it means to be holy and set apart, to be a saint, to be God's person, God's holy person. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for the life that is possible because of the work of Jesus Christ that we've been invited into. Uh, We ask, God, this morning that you will call us to live up to and live into that identity that you've laid out for us. It's not all about behavior. Like, we, we hear all the rules. I don't want it to be about rules. We want it to be about the relationship that we have that you make possible because of the work you're doing in our lives. And yeah, it's going to mean we've got to give some stuff up and some, we've got to give, stop doing certain things at times. We've got to change behavioral patterns. But those are all things that are rooted in relationship with you. Uh, and a relationship that that's comes together that's bound by love, the love that you express to us on the cross. God, I continue to pray for our church that you'll be, will be a people who uh, embrace this identity and also live up to the identity that you've laid out for us. We love you and we're thankful for Christ who makes it possible. And it's his name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me?